This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is for the passionate Seahawks fans. The ones who care about scheme more than hot takes. The, the, the ones who want X's and O's and not talking heads. From the eye in the sky. This is Seattle Overload. Seattle Overload. With your hosts, Matty F. Brown, Griffin Sturgeon, and Ty Dane Gonzalez. Let's go! Welcome to the Seattle Overload podcast, the news edition of the week where we have some Seahawks news to talk about. We're going to sort of look ahead to week four against the Detroit Lions and also look back at week three versus the, oh, it was so bad, I've almost forgot, Atlanta Falcons through the perspectives of Pete Carroll's press conferences, his radio appearance, and, you know, Clint Hurt talking to the media, DK Metcalf already kind of trying to talk some smack. Yeah, let's talk. With, let's start with uh, DK Metcalf, Ty. Um, mm. that, that was fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always fun when, you know, uh, guys are sending shots. You know, I, I love receivers talking. Why not? And especially in this year, why not? You know, talk talk your stuff. So uh, I like I like DK doing this. Now, I kind of want to ask you, like, how you feel about the comments from a, from a scheme perspective, how, how you think uh, maybe accurate or not so accurate they, they might be with the old Jeffrey Okuda. Well... Well, let's let's outline what DK Metcalf said. Yeah. So he 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 said that um, essentially Okuda, the implication was Okuda wasn't as tough a matchup one on one because he wasn't playing one on one. He had safety help over the top. Have I got that correct? Yes. Yes, you did. Yeah. Well, this is funny to me coming from Metcalf because. The Seahawks offense has always had this thing where it seems like uh, they're running loads of shell defense. Like, there's no one-on-ones. Like, they're doubling DK. It's like, well, it's not a true double in, like, the man-double sense where you have a man-to-man guy following that guy across the field and then another man-to-man guy bracketing that guy across the field. It's zone coverage. So it's, it's But for, like, the layman, it is kind of a double coverage when DK runs down the field deep. And what does DK Metcalf do from a root tree perspective? Like, he runs a dig occasionally, mm-hmm. but really it's go roots, comebacks, hitches, it's up and down, up and down, up and down. So when he's getting this, say, a cloud cornerback playing to him uh, and the deep half safety at the top, like cover two, um, if you're running downfield against that, you're getting removed from the play, as we saw what basically killed 
well, part of what killed the Let Rush Cookie era mm-hmm. was teams just doing that to DK every single time. Mm-hmm. DK just being removed from the play. Uh, from a Lions perspective, I know that they're they're mixing their coverages, so they do that, and they, then they do um, quarter quarter half, where instead of having a, a cover two cornerback, you have a cover four cornerback, and then a guy camped in your dig window. DK can play on the the sort of comeback stuff on that, but realistically, like the reason Tyler Lockett's been getting most of these intermediate catches and and you know these kind of uh, catches in space is because he has the route running. Uh, skill set not skill because dk is a good route runner he's just a big dude right mm. but lockett has the kind of uh skill set to separate and get open against these kinds of uh shell coverages whereas for metcalf it is often a frustrating day of basically catching 15 yard 10 yard uh hitches comebacks the occasional slant uh and uh, the very rare uh or, although mm. less less rare with geno smith dig route against um you know quarters so does that answer your question ty yeah pretty much so when it comes to akuda obviously we've seen him you know just recently this past week shut down justin jefferson we've seen you know um he's he's had a really good start to the year uh so that's gonna be interesting and of course i'm sure that's probably how they're gonna play dk and we'll see how that all matches up but um it's a little interesting i mean do you do you think what what do you think about when receivers do this do you think that they're setting themselves up for failure doing this because well, it, it does seem like it always bites receivers and in, in, in the tail side when this uh when when they do kind of pop off a little bit I, I don't i haven't seen many receivers go after corners and then actually back that up on the field at least mm. that comes to my mind right and here's the thing ty i am a and for we've picked up a few new listeners thank you very much and for mm. those of you who've recently tuned in or have forgotten i am a defensive guy first and foremost i have a background in defensive backs as in coaching them briefly playing it at a very bad level and i, I don't like receivers <laughs> generally speaking and they do like to talk, don't they? And and all of this stuff. DK's actually been talking like a lot in press conferences. Like I think like one week he was asked about watching receiver tape, and he was like, "I don't need to watch them because they're playing against me." It's like, okay, that's lame. Um, <laughs> but it's all good. It's all fun and games, right? Uh, yeah, it could it could end badly. Like I I don't see how it changes against Detroit from the same issues that you know they're faced. Right. <laughs> faced. Right. Like it it is what it is. Like. Now the the compensation is where if they're if they're using these coverages where they're you know putting two over a player or three over three over two or four over three they're playing two high safeties well then they've lost the safety from the box and so you should be able to run the ball more effectively you should be more efficient um, running the football because they they've lost that numbers advantage uh, with the exchange of um, you know gaining gaining a coverage player. Uh, or coverage guy on the back end at least and that gives you more flexibility in the coverages you run so yeah i, I don't know i mean do you think dk is suddenly going to d- transition into b- being great do you like it when he talks smack i mean like i i i don't mind it like i said i i like it like it's uh it's fun it's all fun and games at the end of the day and we're ultimately playing a game at the end of the day here we're talking about a game made for children <laughs> but like uh it's uh you know it, i i don't know if it's like it doesn't really change anything for me right like we know like what it's going to be how they're going to defend dk and you know 
it's just really like can can the Seahawks get into their game? Can they create opportunities for DK? Can they get the ball in his hands and can they get him to make stuff happen? It's pretty much it, right? That's all it comes down to. So yeah, I'm not I don't I'm not really like this to me isn't really necessarily a storyline heading into the game, like, oh my god, what's gonna happen between DK and Jeff Okuda? Like I don't care but like uh you know they do need to get him involved more though and they try to against Atlanta and uh, obviously you know he's got to catch more balls in that situation with all the targets that he got didn't he end up getting like 11 or 12 in that game and he only caught well this is the thing like this is the thing with his root tree and with the context of how teams are playing him as well like and without Russell Wilson right who before teams were going like into these middle field open uh, looks when it was still like largely a single high one-on-one outside world. Russ was so efficient and it was such an incredible deep ball thrower and, and a moon ball thrower. Right. And so mm-hmm. DK's efficiency was kind of up th- through his root tree of like, you know, basically up and down sideline stuff. Right. N- now he can play in the slot as well a bit, but it's still vertical kind of deals. Yeah, but uh, now you've got Geno Smith, who's obviously like no one's as good as Russell Wilson, and we've got some Pete Carroll comments sort of mm. on that, which I'd like to de- delve into a bit later. Yeah, but no one's no one's as good at Russ- as Russell Wilson at throwing the deep ball. Geno's okay, like he has some patchy uh, sort of underthrows on that, and uh, especially throwing like the sideline go ball stuff. But ultimately, mm-hmm. like a lot of the Metcalf targets is like there's there's some variance there that they there should be a bit more inefficient but also he's never well not never but he's always I should say had moments where he is not doesn't look like a natural catcher like his hands become hard he drops yeah. the football uh, some unfortunate things where he's almost trying so hard to catch the ball that he's battling it and and mm. ends in the ball falling incomplete and so uh, again I haven't delved back into the Falcons tape yet. That is mm-hmm. my task after this. Uh, you know, four AM as you, as a normal person would do. I'll probably we have to mention tape review tomorrow. Tape review yes. tomorrow. Yeah. Yes, and and I will have all the tape watched for tomorrow's podcast. Yep. But yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, where was I going with that? Just yeah, it's it's kind of who Metcalf is, and yeah, I didn't realize he had eleven targets. That's crazy. Yeah, and I think he only caught like four or five of them. That's, you know, but again, like you said, right? Like it's just he's he's limited, and that doesn't mean that he's not good, right? Like he's very good, but it's just you know, there's only you know certain things that he can really do particularly well. He's and he excels at those. Um, so yeah, you know, I just I'd like to see you know them try to figure out a way to get him involved because he is such a great talent and can make things happen. But you know it's just all about how you know these teams want to go after the Seahawks, right? And the other um, thing here is like there will come a time like they're waiting for it that mm-hmm. you know they're waiting for it where a team plays middle field close single high against the mm-hmm. Seahawks. Uh, I'd imagine the Cardinals will do a bit of that. Yeah, and when that happens. And it's like, especially if it's press coverage, they'll throw the ball at DK. Like, they'll they'll try it deep. I felt in the 49ers game and sort of what inspired, I think, some of Carroll's comments was they did play quite a bit of cover three. Okay, the cornerbacks were off. But, like, Mm -hmm. there was probably, I mean, if they'd had more plays in that awful second half, but there was probably, like, one or two opportunities to go and have a deep shot 
against the cover three cornerback. In and Gino hasn't been scared to throw that to, to DK either when he's covered. Like no. he's, you know, the, the touchdown that he had uh, against Atlanta, uh, he was covered. Was, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Great there, point. There was the, uh, the, the double pass in San Francisco that ended up getting called back. Like, you know, Gino hasn't been shy to pull the trigger there. So uh, I'm sure as soon as they get that look they're they're you know, Gino's going right to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. So, Detroit themselves, it, it turns out, are a pretty injured football team. Mm. Yeah, so their uh, their first injury report here on, on Wednesday is uh, it's pretty busy. Uh, so, TJ Hawkinson, uh, their starting tight end, has a foot injury. He did not practice today. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, their star second-year receiver, uh, didn't practice with an ankle injury. DeAndre Swift, their running back, is out with a uh, – or did not practice on Wednesday with an ankle and shoulder injury. Um, they have, uh, two of their starters on the offensive line did not practice. Uh, so they are at least offensively speaking, really banged up right now. Don't know if how serious any of these injuries are, if they are actually, um, you know, going to threaten their availability for the upcoming game. But I mean, you know, you look at St. Brown, who's off to a great start this year and he's been an absolute weapon for them. If he can't go, or if he's not at a hundred percent, I mean, of course, everyone in the nfl isn't really a hundred percent but as the saying goes but you know if he's not at the best of his uh capabilities that would be pretty huge for the seahawks right because like they do a lot of really cool stuff with uh with saint brown oh yeah yeah he's a he's been incredible like he he broke some record for catching so many passes in so many weeks in a row uh and he's the kind of player who is a problem for Seattle because yeah. they can move him around so much, and it's like he can run the football well, out of the backfield. He can, yeah, he can do pretty much everything. Like, right. So it's hard to game plan for. They can just find a mismatch, and yeah, so that would be big news. They got DJ Chark, right? Is he? Yeah, and he yeah. was he was limited today. He was limited today oh. with a uh, ankle injury as well. So, uh, on top of Shark, I'm trying to think who else they have in their receiving core right now. I'm going to look it up. But they, um, I'm sure they have like one other guy that's like pretty good. Why do you do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's big news. Shark's more like a kind of outside type, uh, not really, mm. not really a move, movable piece. And, Jamal Williams has actually been pretty good in 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 sort of backup duty, and their their run game's so diverse that and their O line's been so good that I'm not sure how much Swift being out matters if he is out. But oh yeah, Josh I mean, uh, Josh Reynolds uh, from the from the from the Rams. Uh, of course, of course, yeah. yeah. yeah Goff likes yeah. targeting him, in and he uh, also did not practice with an ankle injury. Wow, they're they're hurt. They're hurt. Hurt. That was a tough yeah. game. I was surprised they um they lost that one. Yeah, yeah, because didn't they get off to like what like a yeah. seventeen point lead or something? They like that? were they were up big and they went for it on uh, fourth downs and they were getting it and it was very vibey and then like I mean I was watching Red Zone but then suddenly you're like mm. what what happened here? So that's something to look back at and be interested in. So what do you think about uh Dan Campbell? What what what's your uh, what's your thoughts on old MCDC? Well, we have so much in common, right? Like mm. he wears a hat. I'm currently wearing a hat. Mm. Uh, You're both likes... completely unhinged. 
yeah, both. Yeah, big time unhinged. I mm. enjoy a white Russian occasionally, and he mm. is like the dude, right? And, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, the other the other big thing is he likes coffee. I really mm. like coffee. Like I mm. really like coffee. I don't know if I'm as well. Actually, that's not true. I definitely would do what he does. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, what, was, what was his order from Starbucks? Uh, it was like, <laughs> have you seen that? No, I don't think I have. What? Was that, from, was, that, was that from Hard Knocks? No, no, it was before that. Uh, he, no, has, no. Um, he has two venties of the Pike Brew uh, sponsored, plus two shots of espresso. Oh, wow. So, uh, how how big is a venti here? Uh, I, I, think I mean, like my kind of like my water bottle here. It's like taller than my face or taller than my head. Yeah. Yeah. Now I've been known to. Did this has this taken over? I, I believe it originated from New Zealand, but has the flat white taken over? Flat white. The flat white. Is Flat is that like coffee. oh 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 actually no i think i have seen that now that you yeah, yeah. right i think i have seen that see i'm not oh. a coffee drinker my wife is though but i'm not a big coffee drinker couldn't be me so the flat white yeah. apparently uh, originated in either australia or new zealand but it's hotly disputed according to wikipedia which mm. is never wrong but then it suddenly emerged in the uk as like a phenomenon right mm. and what is so nice about that is it is uh two shots of espresso right mm. rather than the original one uh with with milk now what i like particularly doing is adding a third shot of espresso to that and then having sort of five in a day, which is very exciting and sort of occasionally a bit jittery. But um, <laughs> so I, I'm kind of like Dan Campbell is what I'm saying. So, yes, I like Dan yeah. Campbell. The grit he's he's built into his, the program is noticeable. He's he's so uh, likable. Mm -hmm. He was really upset after their, their last game. He like put it all on himself. I think players respect that. Because with that sort of deal, it's kind of it's like a fine line between being uh, honest and accountable and and fun mm. to being like corny and like cringy and and bad but he actually seems like he can coach and when he was calling offense by the way their offense was kind of fun to watch so yeah and so there you go but i mean what do you think about dc well to me like you know you talk about the culture and for me it, it kind of reminds me of the early pete carroll seahawks where it was like okay they're building a culture there that's not like anything else in the nfl 
there's just like there's something that's different obviously it brings in elements of like other cultures and other you know whatever but like it's kind of dan campbell's world there and he just does things differently and he does not give an absolute you know what so it's uh it's awesome i mean i I love dan campbell i love all the crazy press conferences and i just i love it i love it i you know i watched uh a little bit of hard knocks and like that team rules man like they like i i honestly like obviously i want to beat them on sunday but like they're a lot of fun like i've i'm i'm kind of pulling for them this year uh they're they're um like he just the way that he coaches like and and the aggressiveness on the field like what do you think about his on-field coaching like a lot of the going for it on fourth downs and well how cool is that right yeah and he isn't i mean he is a former tight attend right he's an offensive Mm. dude so perhaps that's a bit different but i i feel again what i said about how it can go wrong quite quickly the perception of him was uncertain right and i think some people may have may have wrongly thought he'd make bad coaching decisions but the fact that he's so aggressive on fourth down is awesome like he's gung-ho um actually what happened in this last game was that he he wasn't at the end and he really regretted not being but up until that point but then you know it's fourth and three with jared goff and you've already used up some of your fourth down things so it's like "Mm." but um he was very uh regretful remorseful after that moment but yeah i he seems to be doing a really good job. And and just going back to the culture thing, like you, you go from Matt Patricia, right, mm-hmm. to Dan Campbell. Like it's exactly what they needed. Cause they're, you know, their their ownership position is very unusual and, and mm-hmm. kind of odd. And the head coach is like even bigger part of like the image of that franchise. And and also like the Lions have been through a lot. And and yeah. uh yeah. and you know, we hear today, like inevitably Pete Carroll gets asked about Conjay Diggs, who obviously, you know, got traded for uh, pittance under Patricia. And mm. it's like, uh, wow, what, what, I don't think Conjay Diggs, uh, uh, you know, a pillar of a locker room. Uh, uh, if anything, he's sort of the embodiment of the kind of player that Dan Campbell is yeah. looking for with the Lions now. So it's, it's come full circle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, like, when you look at last year as well and like they were awful right i think they only won like four games or something like that last year but they just like they play like that's a that's a team that very clearly loves and respects its coach like yes. they were just you know they they weren't very good but they were giving it everything they had <laughs> you know and it's like you know they're just playing their their poor little hearts out basically you know and it's like I mean, but that's what you want to see, you know, that's what you want to see, you know, from a, from a, when you're, you know, cause that's such a huge part of being an NFL hood coach. Cause you can have the scheme and everything down and all that, but you have to be able to build a culture, build a comfortable culture where people, you know, get along and like, you know, they actually feel empowered. Right. That's what Pete Carroll's whole philosophy is built upon is making players feel empowered. And so you have to, I mean, at least from my perspective, that's the best way of coaching. Uh, that's the best way, you know, whether, no matter what sport you're in really, because you have to, you have to build a work and because at the end of the day, this is a work environment that you're talking about. An NFL locker locker room is a work environment and you have to build a a work environment that, that people feel comfortable in. Yeah. And so Dan Campbell does that. 
Well, and, you know, them not tanking, them fighting for every yeah. blade of grass last season, really that was kind of a positive example for the Seahawks this time round. If thing, you know, why would you tank? Like, tanking is so damaging to a culture. Now, you can do it in a... Like, look at look at what the Browns went and did where... I mean, yeah. that, <laughs> I mean some would say they, they didn't fully see it through, but um, that was just crazy. Much more, much more fun as a fan right surely to to root yeah. for a team where there's at least something and i know some like some of the seahawks fan base is split over whether the team is doing the right thing currently but for me like it's so hard to to build a positive culture in the first place and you know it's it's, it's a thorny thing because culture is hard to like there's no metric for culture right it's well hard and to guys measure, and but... guys feel better about it when you actually you know give a damn like especially like oh, towards yeah. the end of the season like when you know like this is all their right, livelihoods yeah. this is their you know this and they're is gonna be more excited the to for them they're more excited to get back yeah where they're risking a lot yeah more excited to get back like it's it's big and once you've lost it you can't get it back like yeah. you, you have to be building something so Again. Yeah, you're more incentivized to to put the work in to get back. I mean, it's kind of like what we saw going from 2011 with the Seahawks and then going into 2012, right? Mm. It's like you know they kind of got on a little bit of a heater there towards the end. You know, weren't necessarily in playoff position, but they, you know, there was a chance there. There was a very outside chance, and then they rode. You know, they kind of rode that momentum into the next year. So, you know, that's. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what we're seeing with the with this Lions team right now, right? Because like you know they were they were going for it there towards the end, and uh, now they're coming out hot. They're two and one, right? Are they two and one or are they one and two? Surely they're know. not one and so... two. So <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, we will be previewing the the Lions game in a bit more detail. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next. Next. Uh... Well, tomorrow, but they, uh, yeah, no, they're they're one and two. They're one. That's and two. crazy because they don't feel like a one and two team, and they're often they don't feel a like a one points, and two team. And their defense yeah. plays hard, like that's kind of wild. So a big mm. game because one of these teams is going to fall to one and three, which I mean, yeah, that seems tough on either of them. NFL is tough. Uh, positive news, Ty. After I almost did a eulogy for mm. Trey Brown, you did last like Wednesday. Look, I was just showing concern, okay? I, Pete Carroll sounded concerned. Uh, well, it sounds like he's made great progress, and he was running, which that's important. You have to run in football, but recovering from that patella tendon injury and think surgery. But the cornerback, the second-year cornerback, sounds like two to three weeks was the timeline which emerged. Yeah, so the uh, he's running full speed, and, and Pete, uh, said uh, earlier today in his press conference that yeah it seems like two to three weeks for for Trey Brown which is great news because I mean you know last Wednesday as we were talking about when you were talking about him it, the way that Pete was talking kind of seemed like uh oh like Trey's not progressing very well right now is he gonna play this season like you know because we know how Pete Carroll is when he talks about injuries and when he when even he starts to crack and shows concern in press conferences, it's like, oh, this is like actually really serious. Uh, so yeah, so I don't blame you for being like legitimately concerned about what that may have meant. Uh, but so this is great news, and this is, uh, I mean, you know, 
last year, uh, like we're, we have to see, cause this is such a gnarly injury coming back from a patella tendon. It's, it's possible that he will, I mean, it's more likely than not that he will not be the same player that he was ever again. Um, but yeah, I mean, the player like, that we saw last year was, I mean, <laughs> he was one of the best corners in football during the few weeks that he played. So, yeah. Well, so that would be a huge, bo- huge boost to get him back. Sorry. Mm-hmm, what were you saying? Mm-hmm. No, I apologize for interrupting you. Uh, like, if you think about Will Disley coming back, like, he didn't have the same, like, rookie year uh, explosion. Jimmy Graham had this injury and he was never quite the same level of athlete. And, like, what was Trey Brown's defining characteristic? Well, he was not a tight end for a start, but his burst and, like, twitch out of breaks was incredible. Short area quickness in in the straight line. And, you know, if that's gone, then that's tough. Like, corner is is a position where movement skills are, like, the thing. Like, you you really have to be able to move. Now, you can be long and do it, but if Brown's, like, a smaller guy, he he really does need to be able to do that. If he's back, like, fully, which would... I mean, I'm, I don't think we can expect that because it is. this used to be like a career ender, a, a bit like how ACL injuries used to be and then they sort of have, have developed over the years. But if, if Brown is is fully back, you know, maybe science has developed in a, in a way, then there's a potential for him to come in and compete for the nickel spot along with co- uh, left corner as well. So hopefully he has fully recovered. But um, more importantly, it's just good to hear that he's coming back because that must have been a really tough process for him and and you know just being off on your own and wondering whether you can make it onto the field and not making it back in time for the preseason he's going to be playing catch up from a scheme uh, standpoint like all the language has changed in the playbook even if they are running similar coverage concepts there's a slightly different emphasis to more middle field open looks whereas last year even though they're running these middle field open looks they were still middle field closed cover three cover one it's kind of team but yeah i mean positive news today so that's good yeah, that's uh, really nice to hear. How do you think that he'll kind of fill, uh, fit into this whole cornerback uh, situation they have right now? Because obviously they got Mike Jackson. They, um, you know, uh, they, they... Sydney's still around, even though that they made him a healthy scratch on Sunday. Like, they do have guys. The Artie Burns is apparently coming back. So how do you kind of see him fitting in this whole thing? Confirmed guys. Uh yeah, it's kind of what I said. It's it's difficult for him to come back. I think, you know, Sydney's the next guy up as, as the corner of three. I mean, yeah. the real area would be Brown contributing on special teams, right? Like, they, they've had um, Isaiah Dunn playing specials. Well, if Brown's ready, then I, I imagine Dunn gets released, put on the practice. Maybe Dunn is on the practice squad already. He might not be on the act. No, he is on the active roster because they claimed him, right? So, yeah. Uh, and they signed Xavier Coleman. Today. Yeah, he's been activated off the... Uh, the practice squad. Oh, they they signed him to the active roster now. Yeah, he was the corresponding move for Homer going on the IR, which I guess we should also talk about real quick. Travis Homer's on go. the IR, unfortunately. Yeah. So so just to wrap that up. Um. Yeah, I imagine Brown replaces one of them. Contributes on special teams if he's looking good. Then he. Gotcha. But it, unlikely to feature a corner unless something really bad starts happening at the corner position where they have to rotate through. But yeah, Homer to the IR. Sounded bad, like, in terms of, you know, he's hurt his ribs. Carol's mentioning after the game some cartilage involved. Mm. Sounded like he's very sore. Now, Homer has two elements. His special teams, where he's an excellent special teamer, but then also his pass protection, which 
uh, may have caused like a Twitter war uh, via me uh, mm. last la- the, the one 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 season or maybe the season before 2020. I, I, I believe it was 2020. I, yeah. I believe the quote was. Um, if you are criticizing why Travis Homer gets snatched at the Seahawks, you don't understand football. Uh, mm. And why I said that was, uh, and I've, I've tried to be a bit more positive on Twitter, uh, but what I said that was a lot of people were sort of criticizing the Seahawks for Travis Homer getting snaps on offense, but his value is as a passing down back where his pass protection, other than that Geno Smith touchdown against the Broncos, has been flawless. Like he is really good at. One, recognizing where to help out, like because sometimes a rusher comes from the opposite side and you have to get all the way across the formation to pick him up. So he's very got good, you know, scan scanning with his eyes. But then, mm. two, he's also physical and stands guys up uh, uh, along with just understanding the scheme. So the passing down role was fulfilled last week by DJ Dallas on, on third downs and, and passing downs as a, as a pass protector. He's okay. Uh, he still has some stuff to prove in that area, but I'm, you know, they clearly trust him to do that. But the Seahawks have obviously picked up some running backs uh, on the back end of the roster to try and uh, complement that depth. You know, add to the depth because mm-hmm. of Homer's loss. Uh, but you know, the running back position is brutal, and this is why they add so many different types of backs, different types of players in the back end of the roster because injuries happen, and especially at the back position. Unfortunately, it's kind of inevitable that at least one or two, or maybe three, end well, up we, getting hurt. We saw it in 2015. We saw it again in uh, what was it? 20. What was the year that they signed Marshawn again for the last game? 2019. Yeah, 2019. Yeah, because it was DK's rookie year. Yeah, like you know, 2015 uh, when Marshawn and Rawls went down. Like they had they had Dewan Harris getting like legitimate snaps at one point. Like, Oh my word. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, you know, yeah. Like you, you know, you got to have that depth and, you know, as far as Homer goes, like this is going to be a bigger loss. than I think a lot of people think because of the value on special teams and the value in pass protection, but especially on pass or especially on, uh, on special teams because he's been such a huge contributor to there he's i mean he it feels like he's always making plays every single week on special teams like he's he's a dude on special teams like one of those like actual like special guys that, that plays the uh that plays that role so um yeah that really sucks that really sucks for him uh hopefully he's able to come back um but yeah that that's uh that's a pretty big blow for the seahawks yeah uh well I mean, hopefully it's like, yeah, like you said, a designated to return deal, not season ending. Mm-hmm. I know they've they loosened up the rules there uh, in yeah. recent years to make that a bit easier. But yeah. So Russell Wilson update. <laughs> <laughs> but but before that, Pete Carroll actually spoke about the sort of stylistic contrast between Russell Wilson yeah. and Geno Smith. And it honestly sounded like an episode of Seattle Overload, like what I was saying earlier today but also Griffin's obsession with uh, min-maxing and what mm. you can do and what you can't do and how much of it you can do and how much of it you can't do and all of that sort of stuff, mm. where he he said, um, you know, paraphrasing, but he didn't think anyone's best than Russell Wilson at throwing the deep ball and that Russell relied on those plays with his great touch. Uh, but now he doesn't feel that's the strength of the game. They're not just trying to bomb the ball up. They want to use the whole field, <laughs> um, uh, and just like the scene uh, that Gino throws so well, 
It's not the number one priority for us to bomb the ball downfield. That was something we really had to do in the past, which, oh my word, that's literally what we've always said. Like with Russell, yeah. he was so efficient at, at, on his, at his peak. He was so efficient at throwing one of the hardest balls in football, the go ball, the sideline mm -hmm. fade. But, but he couldn't access other areas of the field. So he, but you can only throw so many, so many sideline fades until the efficiency just dips, even for Russell Wilson. <laughs> and then what else are you going to do? Uh, well, you can't throw the intermediate stuff. So mm -hmm. you either throw checkdowns or you run the football, which is what we said. Whereas with Gino, when he drops back 44 times, you can do that because he can, he can slice and dice it all over the field. Now he can't throw a deep ball like Russell Wilson and he can't throw a go ball, certainly or fade ball like Russell Wilson. But that was funny. And Ty, as as we're, mm -hmm. we're sort of repeating ourselves, but as we saw on Sunday Night Football, the the go ball and the fade ball for Russell Wilson against these new kind of defenses, the, the or the the new wave of defenses, the trendy in vogue thing, a middle field open, it's tough for him. Yeah, it's starting to regress, and you know, and even the touchdown that he got against the Seahawks, he underthrew the ball. Like it's, you know, the 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 quality of the ball in general, I think, is starting to to regress a little bit. I mean, like he's still an excellent deep ball thrower. Don't get me wrong, but like I think we're seeing some natural regression on that front, as you would expect with someone that's starting to creep into the to the you know second half of their fifties. So, or fifties. Geez, whoa, whoa, thirties. 30s 30s so you know because he's like he's 34 now it's getting a little bit older the legs are starting to go as well like yeah so and you know of course schematically right like he's struggling with these coverages and we've seen him struggle with these coverages for the last you know couple of years now so and it's just he's not really like showing an ability to adapt to that either uh but you know it's funny how now it feels like every time that pete opens his mouth about Russ nowadays like he just gets spicier and spicier and spicier um i love that quote that uh that you just read from him that was uh that was well it's just a lot being of honest though like he, yeah he no it able is to ever really be you can't really tell people that's how it works when he's your quarterback but now yeah. it's like and that sunday night football game was it was just everything we saw with the seahawks right like the only thing Russ did well—it was like was, watching the Seahawks. Yeah, like, it really was. It really was. Yeah. And 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 the only thing Russ did well was he managed to scramble left late and find find like he could have just stood in the pocket and and hit his cover two beater down the sideline, but he managed to scramble left and and hit it um late uh in the hole and he did leave the game. He did lead the game winning drive, but. I mean, the, Jimmy G was an absolute abomination. He he was just so bad. Uh, yeah, that was a really tough game. What what was the stat that uh, the Broncos were the the first team to win up? They, they had so many three and outs. They had so many punts. I can't remember. The yeah, exact that was the most. Was. That was the most three and outs in Russell's career in that game. <laughs> Which honestly, kind of crazy to think about when we've seen the Seahawks like score five points against the Bucks before, <laughs> like. You feel like I don't know something like worse happened in in one of those games, but yeah, um, I mean it's just yeah, it, it's it's when you're getting booed in each of your first two home games, like you're you're in hell <laughs> as a, yeah. as a as a play as an offense, you know. And obviously they're not just booing Russ, but like this is bad. Like I want you know, just watching on Sunday and, and even just being a, totally objective here, right? Like trying to remove myself as just kind of the salty, you know, Seahawks person here. Like 
it's bad. Like the product is bad. Like you cannot like the fact that he called that championship football afterwards like is ridiculous. Like you're not winning most games mm. scoring eleven points or well eight, nine points. Three and outs. Yeah. Eight. eight, three and outs. And yeah, and it was uh, they scored nine points as an offensive unit, right? And it, yeah, like against the 49ers, like you know, that's good defense, but still like you just yeah. you can't do that. But you know, but we we you know it's it's kind of easy to predict though, right? Because like the 49ers know how to how to defend Russell Wilson. They've been doing it for years and years and years, and they they know just like anyone else how you defend Russell Wilson. It's you know it's pretty straightforward. You just gotta execute. Mm. I don't know, man. Like and we're seeing the, and be, we're seeing the results of that. You know? It's going to be very interesting watching it play out. They are still yeah. two and one the Broncos, and their defense looks nasty. And yeah. You know, not every team is going to be as good at playing middle field open coverages as the the 49ers are and, and mixing it in. Uh, but also Russell, like, I don't know. I, I think we we saw we saw this coming. We really did. And what's interesting to me as well is how, like, Pete Carroll took a lot of the heat off Russell Wilson. Like, he was the scapegoat a lot of times. So was mm-hmm. the offensive coordinator. Now Russell's in Denver. Like, sure, Hackett's getting a lot of blame. But... Russell's really put himself in the firing line. That's what happens when you, you know, when when it plays out like it did and, and all this stuff. And so how he ends up handling all that is going to be going to be interesting. Well, and you see how the national folks are, are you know, taking it right now and like what they're doing with it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, was, and, and the, the narrative's really shifted on him. Like yeah. a few years ago, what we were saying about Russell was considered, you know, out there. Now it's become... To me, it's almost swung too far the other way. Like, I, I actually think, I mean, what is fine? Like, I think they'll be fine in a sense. I think Russ will get over 4,000 passing yards. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he'll throw, you know, 30-plus touchdowns, um, um, which right now seems bold, right? And I think they'll probably finish 8 and 9, 9 and 8. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I consider fine. But I, I think a lot of the narratives that they're completely completely screwed well you could say like they didn't they didn't give up all that to go eight and nine nine and eight and you know have a fairly productive passing game which gets choked out by a certain style of defense but but still uh yeah all right so what else do we have Um, well i i wanted to talk about uh p carroll's comments uh, in his radio show again which was uh, seattle sports with brock and salt good to have those guys back together where Carol said that there's um, some things after three games that he can see differently, like from a scheme perspective, and that they need to adjust a couple of things. And he said he wasn't sure how they'd play some blocks and principles that they're defending playing the run game. Uh, and he's saying they just need to adjust a bit and, and got some stuff to do. Um, mm. And he says we need to help like guys more with the execution-wise. Again, mentioning scheme and fix some things up. So that made me wonder, like we were moaning after the game about how the Seahawks were really running so much nickel, like two, four, five or four, two, five fronts where it's even spacing. So it looks like four down on the field and it's like a, and and it's basically an over front, an over G front. So you have a, a defensive end, then you have a, a three technique on the outside shot of the guard, defense tackle, the defensive end, sorry, is an outside linebacker, but he's on the edge of the mm-hmm. defense. Then you have a two-eye technique who's on the inside shoulder of the guard. That's like the nose tackle, defense mm. tackle. And then you have another outside linebacker on the defensive edge. Uh, 
and then you have Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks in the box. And they've been running that so often. Uh, and I just think Carol's saying that there's some stuff they need to do scheme-wise. Like, I did wonder if it meant they're going to try and do more bare fronts uh, mm. th- from nickel. Now, how you do that is either you say, well, Kobe Bryant, you just come into the box occasionally if the offensive formation dictates, or you place three safety packages, which is supposedly a big part of their off-season plan was to have Jamal Adams do this and basically mm-hmm. take take uh, take it. And it does mean playing three, 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 five personnel. So it takes mm-hmm. Cody Barton off the field um, and it would place a uh, strong safety into the box uh, next to him. But Adams so, is down. So then is it Ryan Neal? Do they trust Ryan Neal? He, Carol yeah, so that's what I was going to ask was like, uh, do you think Neil can at least do some of the stuff? That Obviously, he's not Jamal Adams. You know, not saying that he is or anything like that. But like, is he able to do at least some of the stuff that they would maybe hope to do with Jamal? I mean, yes. Yes, he is. But to me, it's like, why not just play Cody Barton and just play a bare front? Like, Sure, yeah. Instead of just trying reason- to make it work. The reason they're running, like Hurt talked about it today. He said playing Atlanta, he was asked by Mike Dugar of the Athletic uh, why they were doing this like 45 stuff and not more like five down nickel fronts. And he said that Atlanta was using different personnel groups um, and like looking at why they do that. And, you know, Carl Pitts, is he actually going to run block or is, is it to try and get a mismatch and how? Basically, if they're in 13 personnel, 12 personnel, it could be playing more like 11 personnel because of the kind of uh, crazy athlete that Pitts is. And and basically, he's a wide receiver, but a tight end. Uh, But for me, the real key to that was, what again, what we said after the game. The reason they're doing the nickel stuff is because it gives them pressure and coverage opportunities. That's what Hurt says. He likes to have the pressure and coverage opportunities. And so, like, if you're in nickel, you can play all of your coverages because you're comfortable with the nickel being able to match up with guys. Whereas if that's a linebacker type or even safety type, you're probably less comfortable doing that. And and then pressure-wise, you can you can blitz a linebacker, you can blitz a safety, or you can blitz a nickel. Whereas if you scale it back a bit, they don't have the schematic diversity in their base calls. Like, ultimately, they're designed mainly to be nickel. And they've lost Adams, who was their... their added wrinkle for like a different nickel presentation of pressure whereas now you, you're only going to bring pressure from a bat like brooks right you, you maybe you could bring it from a nickel as well but if you're in the bear stuff so yeah uh, it doesn't sound like like hurt's comments it didn't sound like he was going to change much but then why would he tell you that is for her yeah. sounded like he was talking about basically the understanding has to improve the consistency has to pr- improve and then the coaching has to improve but I don't know how quickly that can improve. Like if they get gashed by the Lions and people have been talking up like, oh, Jared Goff's not that mobile. Um, the problem with Mariota, the problem with Trey Lance, who got hurt, so it doesn't really work, does it? Um, mm-hmm. Was that they were mobile quarterbacks? It's like, yeah, true, but also. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> they, the, the Mariota didn't run for 179 yards. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. come on. Yeah, let's uh, like this. This team has very like deep schematic and fundamental issues right now <laughs> that it has to work through. Like it's it's got a lot 
to to figure out here and who knows if it's going to figure out everything but uh yeah no it's not mobile quarterbacks and jerry goff not being mobile is not going to suddenly fix things you're not going to see the seahawks give up like only seven points this weekend i mean i hope they do i hope they do but like <laughs> if i'm in ross ain't brown's playing if yeah yeah like uh, yeah yeah that's, that's a little scary oh and clint hurt was agitated his press yeah he looked he looked start, he was sped up he was angsty like he he's very frustrated clearly which i mean yeah. he would be because it's not going to plan mm. right now it's been a, a difficult start to being a coordinator uh We'll delve into his comments in a kind of schemey review uh, in, our t- in our tape podcast, which comes out tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, until then, please, if you're still watching, thank you very much. Like the video, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And if you're listening, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review, follow at Seattle Overload, follow Ty at Dane Gonzalez. Uh, there's no vowels in there. <laughs> <laughs> and follow me at Matty F. Brown. We appreciate you and we're excited to delve into the tape where, you know, often watching the tape brings a bit more optimism around. So ho- I'm hoping mm. that's what happens because right now I'm feeling tough about the last game, but I'm excited for the Detroit game. Mm. Yes, we're on to Detroit, folks. We are on to Detroit. And, you know, of course, last week's tape review brought some optimism after a rough game against the 49ers so hopefully you and griff will allow us to feel a little bit better about this uh the seahawks team at one and two heading into detroit see how it goes we're also going to get some predictions in tomorrow so we'll uh do all that fun stuff so look forward to that we'll see you guys next time